Hello and welcome to According to John. Today we are on a hot topic that's probably going to make somebody mad. Yep, that's uh, that's the way we roll. I'm guessing about 54% of those that watch us are going to get upset. <laughs> Got the percentages down, huh? <laughs> Tell us the topic. It is, what does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage? Mm-hmm. Used to argue that in Bible college. About every third class would break down into this argument and Everybody would pontificate and share their views. It's like after about my senior year, I'm like, stop it. You know, I came here to learn the Bible, not just one topic. Right. But it is an important topic. Well, it's, especially uh, today, it's so important because it's in every house almost. It's well, 54% of the homes it's in. And and the rate's going up all the time, unfortunately. Yeah. People that haven't learned uh, interpersonal skills, uh, overcoming obstacles and working through things. Yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about a lot of that, but we're going to answer it scripturally. What does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage? I am your host, John Westfall. This is my co-host, Pastor Duke Herget, the Duke Meister. And I will remind you by this. So by the time this goes on air, your podcast will be up. Yeah. I'm so thankful. Uh, this is my mentor over here. He's, it, uh, it'll be good. I mentored him for a few years on some issues. Now he's my mentor. God but, uses us. Uh, so listen, if you want, you go to pastorduke.podbean.com, pastorduke.podbean.com. That will get you to his podcast and, and make sure you jump over there and check him out. I am excited for you. Pastor Duke is the podcast and, uh, and it's going to be good. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started, brother, if you'll open us. Let's pray. Father, make this a profitable time, a learning time, a humbling time. Lord, we're not here to condemn anybody, but to just lift up Jesus. And we know that he receives people at any time, any place in their lives uh, that can come in and make all the difference in the world. Guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so what does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage? I will tell you what God says in uh, the Italian prophet Malachi. <laughs> in Malachi 2.16, here's, here's what the Bible says. For the Lord God of Israel. Now, one thing I, I appreciate about that right there is very specific what God. Sovereign. Sovereign God. The creator, the creator of marriage, the creator of the universe. The only God of the universe for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce for it covers one's garment with violence says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. We see coming right out of the gate it, that God says he hates divorce. Uh, God frowns upon it. Now, now that being said, as we go through this, we're going to unfold the scriptures from beginning to end. And I can, t- I can tell you right now, this is not our goal to make anybody mad, but we're going to make somebody mad. Well, thy word is truth and truth sets us free. I know people get what they want, but they're in bondage. They're in bondage. And we, we, we need freedom. And that's God's plan. And, uh, you know, it seems like 50 to 60% of the people that walk through the doors of our church have already been bitten by this. And what do we do? We love them. We give them the word of God and just uh, let people pick up where they're at and, uh, and get victory. But this is, I think what we're sharing would be more for those that are in marriage or going to be in marriage to make it, to make sure you got a foundation to build it upon that you make it work. Yeah. Because if you're already, if you're already divorced or you're divorced and remarried, there's nothing you can do about this. We're going to comfort you, hopefully, uh, as well in this and help you to see scripture and all of its glory and what it's all for. 
but what we're trying to do here is focus on those who've not uh, experienced it or train wreck their life or train wreck their marriage. And, and, I, and what I mean by train wreck it, because some of you are divorced, not because you wanted it. The Bible talks about that. Uh, some of you are divorced and it's mutual. Both of you feel the same way and you're out while well, you're both at fault. And, and the Bible speaks of that. Most of the time, I, I find there's a guilty side and an innocent, a semi-innocent. We're all, all, all sinning. But there's people that really want to work through it, and the other, the other mate refuses to. You know, I find the one that's seeking resolution and one that's just, just seeking to end it. And uh, it really doesn't matter. Which, so let me ask you this. What's the problem that people want to divorce? I think they disconnect from each other, and I think the reason they disconnect from each other is because they somewhat disconnected from God, uh, at least one in the in the relationship. One so what's them. the problem that they don't want to fix the marriage? I'd say self. Pride, Bottom right? Line, pride, pride. Self. At, with, without question, it is pride because why, why did you get married? You know, if, if you got married because you love one another, you got married because this is the one you wanted to be with, and then all of a sudden we fall out of love. Dude, I want to throw up when I hear that term. Oh, we fell out of love. No, you chose to walk away. There is no falling out. Listen, you didn't fall into the marriage. You're not falling out of the marriage. You made a decision to get married. You're making a decision to leave the marriage. And it's pride. And, well, you don't have to live with them. Well, you're right. But if both of you did what God called you to do, then it wouldn't be a problem living with either one. Yeah, you get into all the reasons uh, breakdowns of our, our walk with God, uh, breakdowns in our relationship with each other, without the humility to take the problem and face it in a biblical problem resolution program, then you just throw in the towel and walk away. But yeah. I so, I've seen so many people through the years think they're walking away, and in reality, it's not near as simple as they think. I also well, see, and, and it leaves a wake of destruction, yeah, especially when kids are involved. And, and they, everybody's like, well, the kids are tough. They're resilient. They'll get through it. No, 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 no. They get through it because you've not left them an option. Yeah, you dumped it on them, and it is what it is. Yeah, they have no choice in this. Kids are not the Lone Ranger anymore, just a huge part of kids in school. Uh, seems like every year there's some new kids from my congregation that are now in that category of uh, from a broken home. It breaks God's heart. It doesn't have to be that way. I think it's interesting to, you know, to really start out the topic, you know, God's plan right from the beginning. It's like what the second page of the Bible is not good for a man to be alone for this God cause. God has a cause for marriage. A man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife, and these two shall be one. Well, we saw in, in, in Malachi 2.16, where God hates, and that word hates, so people are like, oh, that's a strong word. Yeah, literally God meant that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there's no way of softening that word. It, hate literally means despises beyond. Okay, but then what you're just now talking about that he talks about in Genesis, and we find all throughout the Scripture, and I, and I have uh, lots of Scripture for it, God expects a lifetime commitment. That's the plan. It's and, a lifetime commitment. And when it works, it's so good. It's a, well, and, and when each one dies to themselves and lives unto the Lord, divorce is never an option. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. my, my pastor, <laughs> so, so preacher from my home church, he used to always say, divorce is not an option. Murder, maybe, yeah. but never divorce. Uh, Billy Graham's <laughs> wife used to say that. My wife has adopted it. She says, I would never divorce Duke. I might kill him. I might I kill him, but him. I won't divorce him, right? Yeah. So, so Matthew 19, 6 says, so then, 
They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Well, that man is inclusive of the ones that are married. So you're not to even separate it yourself. Make it work. Make it make it work. And people go, well, I'm tired. Well, you know, I listen, I, and I get it. Some sometimes one side of that that they are so selfish and they can't see beyond themselves. They're not willing to fix it because they they just want what they want and they're caught up in the flesh. They're caught up in in whatever it is that that they want. And so the other side is innocent and trying to make it work. Never ask for it. And I and I understand that that happens. But no matter what we are to try to work this out on every level. And I don't know that people put the effort into it. That needs to be some sides do. And I'm going to say it's not man or woman. It's both because you and I both know the woman that has tried so desperately to keep the marriage together and the man that tried so desperately to keep the marriage together. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I've pastored for 42 years and the first 25 years of my pastoral experience, this is continuously coming across my desk, you know, and uh, counsel and pre, you know, marital counseling all the time, helping people through problems. And it seemed like the first 25 years, about 80% of the time, it was the man being a bonehead and doing his own thing. I don't want to take any counsel. The past 15 years, it's, it's I'd say it's 80% when yeah. it has switched. It has switched. And I, I, I try to ponder why that might be. I, I don't know why. It doesn't really matter why. It just matters that. So in the last three years, we've had many families. I mean, families come and go in church all the time. I can tell you right now, four families that left the church, and every one of them left because of the woman. Even the children say, mom is off the chart. And the husband is trying to hang in there and hold on and keep the marriage together. And the woman is off the chart. I don't know when or why it switched, but it is more the women today than the men. Yeah, I've asked that question to a lot of pastor friends as I travel around the country. I hear that same thing. It used to be the men, and now it's the women. I I think... uh, What what about the verse where it says that Satan goes into the house and leads away the women silly captive woman laden with sin you know it's a scripture and it's in the latter day i tried to leave the descriptive part off <laughs> i uh here's the duke meister bringing in the this, the tough scripture yeah yeah i tried to make it nice and i appreciate you just just quoting it baby there it is I'm just reading your mind gull- Johnny, gullible yeah. women laden with sin right i don't know i think women have been you know throughout history i think there's been a lot of abuse of women yep. And we're just maybe living in a time where we're just not going to take it anymore. Well, but, or are they abusing it anymore? Or is it that they're bored and they just think, you know, Facebook paints a more beautiful picture or the man comes in and tries to swoop her up and she's the mundane of life has, has gotten mundane and, and they want some excitement and the husband's not I don't, I don't know, man, because I, the, here's what I do know. The reasons for why the men do it and the reasons for why the women do it are both the same reasons, selfishness. Absolutely. I think there's a myriad of reasons, but one of the big reasons why it's changed now versus maybe 50 years ago, women stayed in marriages 50 years ago because a primary need of a woman is security. Right. And it's like, uh, she's, yeah, what am I going to do? How am I going to live? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom stayed in a marriage for years and years with a blatant adultery over and over and over and over again. Cause she had nowhere to go. She was, she was stuck. She was scared. 
uh, to stay in the marriage just for the financial needs to be met. And women now are mostly in the workplace and uh, they, they don't need men as much as they used to. And I think their their fuse of tolerance is much shorter than it used to be. Yeah, great point. And uh, so I, I think that's part of it. Women are out in the workplace. And when things are not good at home, a man is not really meeting the, the needs of a woman at home. And, and this is this is a two-way street. Yeah, if, yeah. I say it goes both ways. Yeah, right. if, if needs aren't met at home and then people go out into the workplace and they get treated uh, kindly and with patience and, oh, you look so nice today. If they don't hear it at home, they hear it at work. They, they love to hear it. And so it, it's, that's a two-way street. And when you're vulnerable uh, and when you're hurting and you're not connecting, you become, you know, the Bible says uh, you, you sort of can give place to the devil uh, when things aren't communicating well, uh, the sexual activity becomes strained or, or turned off. And the Bible says neither give place to the devil. And that, that works both male and female uh, against us. Taylor and I did a podcast on pornography. Yeah. She said... 91.5% of men watch pornography, which I am astounded at that number. And then she said, I think it's 65% now of women are watching pornography. And it's increasing faster with women than it is with men. Because yeah, men have already maxed out. They've already maxed out, exactly. We're going to have some problems. That's a fantasy world. It's, it's world. And men that don't tell their wives that they love them. You know, the, the old adage where the woman goes to the husband and says, why don't you tell me you love me? And he said, I told you I loved you when we got married. If it ever changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a little insufficient. You can't do that. Listen, we got we have to love our family, love our wives, love our children. And we have to tell them because the world is constantly telling them something different. And we have to constantly remind them. Not We're just, man, just your wife's beautiful. You married her, tell her. Your wife's lovely. You married her, tell her. You love your wife, uh, tell her. And, and it goes both ways because... If my wife believes in me, I will fight and go through anything to be her hero. Women have an incredible power over men with their words. Oh, my goodness. Oh, every, my goodness. Every man. A woman can fill your sails full of, oh, my goodness, ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. Yes. And uh, yet a woman has the power to completely just cause that sale to collapse. That is so true. Listen, we, we go to Sherry and I, we go to this uh, pizza place. It's downtown Troy. We've invited guests down there and, and friends. And one time a friend went down there and, and he got mugged and punched in the face. And then one time this dude's laid out, just shot up on the steps with heroin and he was out of his mind. And then there's a couple times and you go, well, why do you keep going down there? The pizza is that good. <laughs> <laughs> but here's what my wife said. Babe, if anything ever happens to you, I'll never have this pizza again. I only come here because of you. And, and she loves the pizza. But what she, what she was telling me was, uh, man, I'm her protector, and she trusts me. Mm -hmm. Right? And then we're out riding, and, and I told my wife, I said, man, you, I'm so glad that you choose to go on these trips with me because they're long trips. I mean, dude, I do 500 miles a day. So if you're going to ride a motorcycle with me, you better strap in because we're going, right? I don't and, love you that much, Johnny. <laughs> and, and I told her, I'm like, I'm so glad that you go on these motorcycle trips with me because I love it when you're here. She's not just trying to inflate my head, but she's like, I trust your riding and I love you. And I'll go wherever you go because I know that you're going to take care of me. See, that's a reciprocation of, me of meeting need. She, when her needs are met, it, God motivates her to meet your needs. And as she's meeting your needs, that motivates you 
to meet her needs. Absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a cycle of a positive cycle. And, or, it, and it just keeps growing our desire to be together. Or it could be a negative cycle. When you start living for yourself yeah. and you get that bike and you, you disappear for a week and leave her at home, well, then all of a sudden that uh, you got some problems developing there. Yeah. But I, that key, that right there, first time God mentions uh, marriage, talks about oneness. When a man is motivated by God to make her feel number one, mm -hmm. he will move her heart to make you number one, and you just live your days out uh, strong marriage. And then you have, and I, I've heard preachers talk about putting it in the bank. You know, you you do things together, you have a great experience mm -hmm. together, you sacrifice together, you're, you're investing, you're putting kind of money in the marriage bank. And then, because trials will come up, and and, and and heartaches will come up, and conflicts will come up, but when you got a lot in the bank, then you know you, you make it through. You really do. There's also a book called "Sex Begins in the Kitchen." <laughs> My and wife quotes that all the time. The, the author has. I didn't know it was a book. <laughs> There's a book. Yeah, "Sex Begins in the Kitchen." In the book, he explains when we do for one another, we just keep making deposits and so he's not talking about it begins on the table or the countertop or on the floor but it begins when a man does dishes for his wife or takes out the trash compliments her ask about her day it, listens eye contact it's making, serving one another and, and making her feel value yeah. and uh, i was away all day working but man i'm glad to be home and you just communicating sex yeah. begins in the kitchen yeah it's, it's serving one another and when we serve one another, our focus is on one another, our love's going to be for one another, and we hang in there. Usually, husband and wife do really good until the kids leave the house. And then when the kids graduate and leave the house, the mom and dad separate because they don't understand why they are together. And what they've done is they've lived their life for the children rather than each other, and it, it should never be that way. Never, that was never God's plan. Never God's plan. The two shall become one, and the children will fall in line and be obedient. And if not, you bring them into obedience. And most of the time, they live for their children. So when the children are gone, they don't know why they're in the marriage. Their, their husband and wife have become estranged. Uh, in the process. And, and you have to be so careful with that. So I want to read some things on what God says about marriage and divorce and why it's happening. So in Deuteronomy 24, one through four says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of this out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which your Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. That was the law that was given. And then we go to Matthew 19, 8, because Matthew 19, 8 references the law that was given. Yeah, the, the Pharisees are coming to him, and they're not really trying to get information. They're trying to trick Jesus, trying to frame him up a bit. But Jesus didn't fall for the trick. Yeah, Jesus is so on top of it. And so Jesus responds to what I just read to you, okay? And here's what he says. Uh, verse 7, they said to him, the Pharisees that you just mentioned, they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? 
because in six we read in Matthew nineteen six, uh, they're no longer uh, two but one flesh. Therefore, what God joined together, let no man separate. They say in seven. Uh, why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? And then Jesus responds to them in verse eight. And he says, uh, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. This uh, passage uh, has a little containment uh, that we don't get because we're in a Western culture. They understood much more clearly than we would. Back in the, in the Levitical law, when a, a couple would have their consummation of their marriage, there was a legal document, a little fabric, piece of fabric, a white uh, cloth. <laughs> This is getting a little bit of science. No, but here. it is what it is. It is what it is, and, and we need to understand this to understand what it's talking but, about. But here. think about the beauty—the beauty of what you're about to share. It was the physical proof of virgin's purity, and she would take it in a consummation of the marriage. She would catch a drop or so, or whatever, of blood as a document of her purity. And then that was uh, saved, and the, the father of the bride would keep that. Uh, as and a, and as if a there legal was document. no document. The father had to pay the consequence of it. Absolutely. And the groom could say, hey, she said one thing, but she didn't live up to it. Shows the importance of purity. Yeah. And the proof of purity. Purity is almost not even in the conversation in our world today. It's not even in the conversation. People don't deal uh, with sexuality the way God does. It's it's a sacred thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's sacred for us, too, because... How would you feel or how would your wife feel, Joellen, if you cheated on her or if she cheated on you? How would you feel? And don't even want to think about it. Seeing the pain that it put my mother through. And I remember seeing, as I was a young man understanding that what my dad was doing to my mom. And it's like I, I tried not to hate him for it. And we, we worked through it. He came to Christ and he's in heaven. You'll love him. But it was, it was really rough on the family. And I will tell you this. Of course, uh, praise God, it was before we had children. Committed adultery on my wife. Uh, this is before I was saved. I look back and oh my goodness, the destruction that it leaves and the hurt that my wife had, the, the fact that I, you know, that I cheated on her. I'll tell you what, you and your wife are huge trophies of the grace of God that what you've overcome and her way more than you do. Ab absolutely. I've heard you say that and I agree with absolutely. you. Absolutely. Listen, listen, uh, how amazing is it that but your brokenness, when you genuinely came to Christ, became a new person. Yeah, yeah. She fell back in love with that new Johnny. Mm -hmm. You fueled her grace yeah. by the grace that you received. And, and as you came to that repentance and brokenness before her and before God, he healed it. Mm -hmm. He healed it and turned uh, the ashes into beauty, turned the sorrow and, into yeah, a and joy. It, it is not until you realize, and of course, only through, through Christ. But, but not really. You know, you think about even a lost person that doesn't know Jesus and they cheat on their spouse. It has the same destruction. It, it doesn't matter. So when, when you're talking about purity here and, and how God says, listen, the two become one flesh is the purity. The, the document is the white cloth with blood drops on it. It's so important because we want our spouse to be ours. And yet by possessing her, I exalt her before the world. And it goes both ways. Because ladies, let me tell you something, and you said this earlier. 
if you are not lifting your husbands up with your words, you are tearing him down and that's pushing him away. And husbands, if you are not loving your wife, it's so amazing. The, the Bible never in scripture tells the wife to love the husband. Never. But he tells the husband to love the wife. Yep. But he does tell the wife to respect. Honor. Respect. Yeah. Yeah, you have to honor and respect the husband, and husbands, you love your wife. And if you go into Ephesians, it ends there as period. Ephesians 5.22. Let me, let me open that up there because uh, I want to read that and, because I think it's so crucial that we understand our roles. 5.20, it says, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 21, submitting to one another. Mm -hmm. So many people, especially the world, says, oh, the Christians, you just want your wives to submit to the husbands. No, 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 no. This is two verses before it says, wives submit your own husband. Two verses before. It says, submitting to one another. That's the foundation. In the fear of God. And the man should be leading that submissive spirit. Yes. And uh, when he is doing his role as a spiritual leader, it makes it easy for her to submit to him. Because she realizes. It's not an oppression. No, she realizes that he is lifting her up. Mm -hmm. If he's doing what God says to do, he is lifting, he's exalting his wife. I I love this phrase. I use it often. I I said it first. I was a freshman at uh, Ohio State University can't remember what class it was, large class, probably 150 students in it. And I had just become a Christian and the professor was Christian bashing constantly, just <laughs> all the time. And I'm just a new believer. I'm taking it. I don't like it. And every time he said things that was anti-Christian, it really wasn't, he didn't represent what I believe at all. Right, Not right, at all. But he, right. And I took it and I took it. One day he talked about, you know, oh, even the Christians, they don't believe in equal rights for women. And I heard that and I, it, I jumped up out of my seat, stood up, and he just was stunned. I said, Mr. Jeffries, I've listened to you all semester bash Christians. And I said, I, I'm a Christian. But I said, you have never been correct in your representation of what I as a Christian believe. And yet I've took it. I said, till now, what you said is absolutely true. As a Christian young man, I do not believe in equal rights for women. It was like the spirit of boo. (laughs) But right as I said that, I said, I believe in superior rights for women. And then it was like, yay. He, He was stunned. He did not know what to say. And he goes, well, I stand corrected. And boy, after class, it was fun. I had about 50 young women come to me and say, what did you, we liked what you said, but what did you mean by that? I got to witness. It was so sweet. And I said, you know, I I don't want to put women beneath me. I want to lift them up. They're most beautiful of all God's creation as far as I'm concerned. And he made them in his image. And they're not just uh, sex toys. They, They saw that respect that when a man is walking with God, He's filled with respect for the older women to t- treat them like mothers and the younger women That's to right. teach them like That's sisters right. and have that genuine uh, strength with with kindness right. and tenderness. And when a man is in that w- genuine walk and growing walk with Christ, he's he's filled with, uh, with, uh, with something that I think appeals to women uh, to want to be near. All women 
want what God talks about because God made all women like way. that. Exactly. And so these women way. who are like, oh, I don't need a man. I don't need blah, blah. No, you know, the reality is. You don't need a lame man. You don't need a, <laughs> You need a man, man. You yeah. need one that's going to love you the way God says to love you, not the way the world projects. It. And that's not a put down to say no. somebody has a need. I need food. That's not a put down. It's, it's a reality. It's a truth. I need a woman. The yeah. scriptures tell me I need a woman. So I don't right. need a woman. Well, I'm lying. That's right. Because God right. told me he made me to need a woman. Yeah. And, and, and uh, made her to be the only one to satisfy that need. Yeah. And when we look in this, it says, uh, verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Verse 22, because in 21, he establishes this has got to be equal. This is going to be equal between the two. It's two or one. That's right. The two are one, so it's equal. And then he breaks it down what it should actually look like. Uh, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The world has painted that word submit into an ugly word, but it's not. It's a safety word. It is a safety word. Listen, you <laughs> submit to your husbands, and, and as you do what you're called to do, and by the way, it literally, wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord, period. There's nothing else. There's no if. Here's how that's fleshed out in our marriage, and uh, it's it, it's amazing. It's been powerful. We've been married 42 years now, and we've been up against things. We've had heartache. We've uh, left big jobs, good-paying jobs to come across the country and establish a church. We sacrifice together. But the way it looks, to how it's worked out in our, our family is this. When I'm doing my job as a spiritual leader, I'm exalting her. I'm making her feel. Well, well let's look at your job. And then, then you, then you put it together. Okay. All right. So wives submit your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife. This is not a negative lady. So you got to hang in there and listen to me a minute. Uh, for the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church. And so now we have a comparison, mm -hmm. right? How did, how did Christ uh, love you? Well, that's how the, the husband should love the wife. Right. And then he goes on, he says, and he is the savior of the body. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. Verse 24, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ or the bride is subject to the groom, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now 25, and then, and then that's where you bring it together after this. 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. What, what does that look like? Listen, nothing, nothing stopped Christ from obtaining his bride. The gates of hell can't prevail against it. The anything. gates of hell can't prevail against it. Nothing is going to get in the way. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. Now, this is Jesus and the church or the groom and the bride on a spiritual level, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Takes us right back to the first time it was mentioned in Genesis 2. Requotes it. It does. And then in verse 33, he says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular, in other words, personally, each one of you personally,
personally love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And there was a period there. There's not if he's a jerk or if she's a jerk or if she's difficult or if he's difficult. It's you do your job that you are called and required to do by God. And if you do yours properly, then you can bring the other along. But if you fail to do your job and the other one fails to do their job, guess what you got? You have a divorce. Yep. What a passage. I mean, you could write, there's been hundreds of books written on that passage alone. We have an example in Christ in the church. Um, Eggridge writes a book called Love and Respect. He does a great job with that. If, if you're looking for a book to help you out, uh, Love and Respect by Egridge. I can't remember his first name, but it's Egridge. I've heard of the book. Name. Yeah, yeah. It's a great book. You got the whole encompassing Christian experience going on here. If my eyes are on Jesus, my hands are on the plow, I'm walking in the spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life is, is it would be all about me. I want to get what I want. That's, That's right. All. That's right. And when I'm walking in the spirit, I don't do that. When I'm walking in the spirit, I have a sensitivity toward her. And if she's walking in the spirit, she uh, appreciates me meeting her needs. Mm-hmm. And if she's walking in the spirit and I'm not for a while, she's got her eyes on the Lord, not on me. She's got her hand to the plow, not I'll get even with him. And so it takes two to have their own personal walk. The greatest thing, the greatest treasure I can give my wife every morning, she wakes up and my kids said this as they've grown up, what is the greatest thing your dad ever did to you? They said, we get up in the morning and uh, we go out, we know where he's going to be sitting. We know the light's going to be on. We know what book's going to be open. My walk with Christ is the greatest treasure I can give my wife. Amen. My walk with God is the greatest treasure I can give my children. Joellen's walk, my, my wife, uh, her, the greatest gift she can give to me is her walk with Christ because it gives us a, a Holy Spirit temperament. We're not going to be selfish. We're going to be really concerned about the, the needs of the other. And I don't have to be worried about the needs of myself. She will look out for me. She'll buy my clothes so they match. You know, she'll lay them out so, so she is not embarrassed when I go yeah, in public. Well, she keeps you presentable. <laughs> she gives a good shot anyway. <laughs> If anything matches at my house, it's her fault. People look at this in the negative. This is not a negative no, submission is... and honor. And my wife believes the word of God, the structure, the superstructure uh, it, it for a house. Is, it is the structure for a, not just a house, but a house that's built on the rock, not yeah. on the sand that won't collapse when storms come in. There's the cosmetic element of our house. And boy, Joel keeps that really pretty. And it looks, everything's so, so nice and orderly and it's, it's, it's pretty. You have the cosmetics, the lighting. And, you know, it's amazing. The cosmetics are pretty inexpensive, mm-hmm. but underneath that, eight-inch studs, right. you know, and there's a foundation right. laid beneath that. So when we're concerned about the foundation, I think for the men to step up to the plate and be foundational and I'm to lead, you know, I tell people, I'm the head of my house and here's how I lead it. <laughs> Find out what she wants and I do that. But it's such a joy to meet her need. The two or three times in the history of our marriage, 43 years, really couldn't connect. And we tried and on a decision, what we're going to do, what we're not going to do and why, or how much we're going to spend or, or all of the decisions. Some, you know, we usually it's no brainer, but sometimes we, we, we're not on the same page. And sometimes we we're disconnected and sometimes we try to talk it out and it doesn't go so well. And then we get a little, and then sometimes I just want to walk away and sing victory in Jesus. Till I mean, it come back and try again. And a few times we've had to reach out to some others that kind of counsel us through some decisions, but she can see my effort. 
to see it her way. She can see my effort. Uh, I don't want to just have my way. I want to have God's way. And when, and when she's confident in that, and I've been humble and I've so, listened. So there's your word. Humble. Confident. 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 When she's confident in my walk with Christ. That's right. Boom. It's Boom. just all Jesus. And then she says, I, I don't have to submit to Duke. I'm going to submit to Jesus. And if G, if Duke is wrong, Jesus is going to kick his butt. Yeah. So my wife will tell me there's times where I do things and my wife will, and I'll tell her, I'm sorry, but this is what we're going to do. And my wife will submit to that. Not because she's a weaker vessel, but because anything with no head is dead and anything with two heads is a monster. That's why God says that one's the head of the household and, and, and we go that way. But my wife will say this, she'll say, okay, but for the record, I do not agree. I don't want to do this. And God's going to hold you accountable. That's, that's the bottom line. <laughs> that's the bottom. That's the bottom line. And 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 man, I'm going to tell you, there have been times where I've went to her and went, "Ooh, I wish I would have listened to you." And then there's times where she's like, "Thank you for leading." It goes both ways. Yeah, but either either way, it works. It works because it works. you had the right heart attitude. She had the right heart attitude. You didn't agree, but you had the superstructure in place, and you have God involved. That's in right. This. Listen, if I made a poor decision, I have no problem going to her saying, "Forgive me. I I messed up on this one." Mm-hmm. I want to read Matthew five thirty two because I want to get through these these scriptures. Just before you read this one, yeah, please. Go this ahead. passage of scripture. It's not a prison for women to be in mm. a godly, biblically structured thing. It's a, it, it is a paradise. For be, both. It's a paradise for both. Yeah, I'm with you, man. So uh, Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9, we're going to read both. Um, it tells you the only reason that you have for divorce. It doesn't even have to be the reason you use to get that divorce because like my wife and I, you can work through it. There's always that possibility. Matthew 5.32. But I say to you, by the way, these are words of Jesus. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. If there has been uh, sexual immorality, cheating, that's that's what it is. If she claimed to be a virgin and wasn't. That was uh, there's another one, but that's that again. That's immorality, right? That's immorality. That exactly. was covered. It was that, covered immorality that got exposed. Yeah. So sexual immorality. So whether it is cheating or whether it is deceit, because we have to remember the culture back then. They said they were a virgin and they were marrying and then found out they weren't. There were there were problems, and that's what you were referencing. Jesus says, other than that, other than sexual immorality, there's no other reason. Matthew nineteen nine. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Says the exact same thing. And again, that's Jesus. As we go through this and we talk about marital unfaithfulness, that's the only reason for grounds of of, uh, divorce. Now, some will use uh, 1 Corinthians if they've abandoned or... If there's abuse in there, then they have the right to get out of the, the marriage. That's a tough one. That's a, that's I, a I always tough tell one. people this. When there's abuse, uh, get out, get safe, get help. And it, it, the help would look like, uh, obviously, counseling. And the help would be where that other person got counseling. And I think, uh, and I've told this to lots of people, and I'll stand before God one day and give account of how I've counseled people. But I say, get out, get safe, get help. I think that divorce is, is not God's plan. He hates it, but I think God might hate abuse 
even more. I will tell you this. If you are in an abusive relationship, you separate for a time. Within, I call it separation with intent of with reconciliation. With inti- exactly. That's exactly On right. On a foundation. And if the abuser refuses, then I'm going to look at that person as an unbeliever. I'm with you, bro. And then move on. Move on. Don't look back. Yeah, yeah, because you cannot, uh, these pastors will say, I don't care if your husband's beating you, you can't leave him. That that pastor needs to be punched in the face so he can feel what it's like. <laughs> I'll take him out behind the, the shed. Yeah, let's take him out back and, and, and let him know what it's like to, to, hang in, to hang in a relationship that's abusive. Yeah, I don't think God has called uh, anybody into abusive relationships. Well, no, because he made it clear, love, listen, love. Your wife, as Christ loved the church, Jesus didn't beat the crap out of out of his bride. He put up with a lot of junk with the apostles, but he was kind and considerate. So, you know, I I mean, he, there were times he was firm, but you never see the abuse. Mm-hmm. And and so I think I think if there's abuse, you need to get out. When we talk about marital unfaithfulness, and we were talking about the sexual side of it, Genesis two twenty four. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The, the one flesh is the, the sexual union. Union. That, that's because you're, now you're one. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea of that one flesh. And then everything else joins in with that, if you will. Matthew 19, 5. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's quoting Genesis 2, 24. Jesus literally is quoting Genesis 2, 24. And then Ephesians 5, 31, which I read. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. And he is quoting Genesis 2.24. So when we look at this, guys, we become one flesh. That's the sexual part of it. If you violate that, that's the only bonds for divorce. And then we threw in abuse. If there's abuse, and by the way, it goes both ways. If the woman is beating the snot out of the man, because that's happening today, and she is slapping him at every turn and abusing him at every turn, that is just as as bad as the man beating her. And I want you to see 1 Corinthians 7.15, that it says this. But if the unbeliever departs, and I'm going to tell you, if you are abusing your spouse with no repentance, with no changing and yet with regularity that is nothing that a believer would do i, I think you'd have a hard time convincing god that you're a believer if you're I, acting that way i i, I do and by it, their fruits you shall know them bingo if i'm looking at you and i'm not seeing jesus then i'm i'm going with the idea jesus isn't around abusing on a regular basis your spouse your children or anyone in your relationship those are not signs of a believer therefore i'm going to first corinthians seven fifteen. And it says, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Get out, get safe, get help. Peace, peace can come. Separate from it and then watch what God does then. I tell people, don't don't make big decisions uh, in an emotional state. Just get it in God's hands. Get out, get safe, get help. What I find uh, in my 42 years of pastoral experiences, I very seldom see somebody broken and try to get help. Right. They just, they, they don't care. Uh, I'll beat you if I want to, and I'll never stop. And you got to come and take the beating. And like, no, 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 no. And when you, when you step out and you see that other person's behavior, it confirms I made the right choice. I've gotten yes. out. I've gotten out of abusive situation. But the scriptures are really uh, clear. Well, one of the things I like about 15 
because we're talking about abuse. Mm-hmm. If the un- unbeliever departs, remember, we said the one who's abusive, we don't believe is a believer because yeah. they're, they're definitely not the trait of a believer. Mm-hmm. Let him depart. Let him go. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, so we know as him or her, male or female. Yeah, you don't have to stay and get beat because isn't it interesting? The very end of that passage says God's called us to peace. Peace. Yeah. Because there's no peace with an unbeliever that is abusive, whether it's mental, physical, emotional. God's not called us to that. And so, therefore, I'm saying, and, and listen, Another pastor can come along and argue with it all day long. That's, that's up to him. But what I'm saying is, if this is consistent, first off, if you never had it and then all of a sudden it starts coming up, you, there, there's something going on in someone's life, and you got to figure that out before, before you run because there may be an issue of whatever, maybe, who knows, maybe drug abuse, and now they're causing them to be, uh, or maybe they started taking steroids. If they wanted to get in good shape, they start taking steroids, and that sets them off, and they become abusive. Uh, recognize if there are changes. But if that's been from the get-go, I'm telling you, I don't believe they're saved. Mm-hmm. And, and if it doesn't stop and there's no repentance and there's nothing, no sign of Jesus, man, you, you get out because it's okay to get out from under the unbeliever. The things that really get complicated in a godless society, we talk about abuse. I've seen uh, somebody in a marriage where their spouse, male or female, gets involved in gambling and all the money's gone. They get involved in drug abuse and all the money's gone. There's so many different wrinkles that, you know, it's like financial abuse. It's crazy. But there again, and I, I counsel people, just get out, get safe, get help, whatever whatever the problem yep. is. And then you watch. You wait upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You see what they're going to do. Yeah, be and, patient. Don't run into another relationship because you'll, you'll take the garbage with you. Yeah, just let God do whatever God's going to do. Just, uh, just love Jesus, draw nigh, uh, go deeper into your church, draw uh, strength from your Christian friends, be humble, walk in the spirit. And then usually that, that unbe- I think it's an unbeliever, that person just does something so bizarre and then it clarifies for the, the innocent person who is seeking God, it clarifies for them like, okay, they went out from among us because if they weren't of, of us, they would know, you know, they would have continued with us. See people that move too fast. Okay. I'm done. Emotionally I'm spent. I'm done. I'm walking away. It's over. I actually have a passage for what you just talked about. First Corinthians seven thirty two through 35. First off Ephesians four thirty two tells us to forgive. Start with forgiveness. If, if you don't forgive, you're going to keep running full force because that sin is going to keep pushing on your heart and your emotions and your anger and all that goes with it and causes us to do silly stuff. So the first thing is forgive so you can sit back and relax. Get rid of that cancer that's going to eat you alive. Get right with God yourself. Get, get right with God. Uh, and forgiveness is is part of that. Uh, and I'm not saying that that you're accepting everything. What I'm saying is that you're going to forgive the one you love. Then in, in 1 Corinthians 7 32 through 35, uh, don't be so quick to remarry after a divorce or after a separation because God might call you to stay single so he can get your attention and help you and teach you and grow you. And that's what 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 35 says. Uh, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Then he goes on 34. There is a difference between a wife 
and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. So there are times where God's going to go, whoa, that's not what I wanted for you. I don't want you to run out and get remarried. I don't want you to get entangled up in this, at least not now. I want you to stay focused on me so that I can grow you, heal you, mature you, prepare you, get you to where you need to be so that you can meet the one that I have set aside just for you. Yeah, somebody says, I need a man, I need a man, I need a man. And God says, no, you need me, you need me, you need me. Amen. God can take care of the man situation, but I see people... First marriage is 56% ending divorce. Second marriage is 75% in divorce. Third marriage is just, there's, it just, the odds get worse. Yeah. The the more you get married, the more the odds get worse. And then until you just reach an age where you're like, I'll just settle here because I'm too old to do it again. Uh, Other than that, it, it goes up exponentially. And the reason it goes up exponentially, because if you don't stop, and follow 1 Corinthians seven thirty two through 35 and wait on the Lord and settle in the Lord, learn in the Lord, love in the Lord, grow in the Lord, mature in the Lord, do everything in the Lord. If you don't stop in that moment and you rush into another relationship, you are going to take every problem that you have into that relationship because unresolved problems don't go away. They sure don't. And they create huge complications. It's not fair to the new spouse. Because, well, and now you just took a problem between two people and made it a problem between three people. And so now you've tripled your problem. Yeah, it's good to just get back to the scriptures, walk in the spirit. You don't have to worry about all this stuff. Just take a breath. Be patient. Okay, Lord, I'm going to wait upon you. And I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to trust you. You know, we, we're kind of facing this on the negative side. Uh you know, the thou shalt nots, but there's the thou shalts. One of the great joys I've had, I've had heartache of watching 20% of my marriages that I've, that I've performed in divorce, but I've also seen uh, people who were kind of on that innocent side of things and they, they hung in there, they hung in there, they turned the other cheek, they put up with a lot of crap, they forgave, they forgave, they forgave, and then their, their marriage ended and they didn't even want it to end, but it did. The other person just said, that's it, I'm done. And then they just, they, they followed what you just read, what right. God wrote. They followed it. They drew nigh. They came and, and, I'll, and I'll bet you that God honored them with a new spouse when the time That's was right. What, oh, my goodness. I could give you a list of And ten, it was beautiful because they waited on God. I sat with these innocent people with a brokenness, with abusive spouses. Yep. And I've, I've told them, I said, I remember one guy, John Missoula. I said, Johnny, uh, God is going to rebuild your life. I, and uh, he just looked at me. He was so crushed, and he tried so hard, and he was so disappointed in himself, and he forgave and forgave and forgave, and the time came. God brought a wonderful woman into his life, and she— What's better than a gift from God? He, he was such a great guy, and the woman that, that God brought into his life really needed. She had been so abused, and, John, and he just stepped up and— Man, that's 25 years ago. They've had a wonderful marriage. They've been exemplary. And uh, her kids love him and his kids love her. And it, it just, it, it can work. It can, yeah. God can rebuild. Yep. And these yep. are people that never intended to be uh, single again. Uh, and they had no, des- yeah, they had no desire to be divorced. No, they fought it. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. Each time that mate proved 
to be an unbeliever. Yeah, right. Isn't that that's what I'm proved saying? Proved it. L- listen, you can't you can't live the life of the world and call yourself a child of God on that continuous basis where there's zero fruit. You, you just can't, man. I I, don't, I can't. God says that we'll know the person by their fruit, and if your fruit is is that of the world, then that's who you are. Yeah, it doesn't why, matter why what do you, you call say? me, Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say. You're. I depart from me. You either work in Nicaragua. And, and which really which means that there are people who can say, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Yet they're living a sinful life. Why do you do not do what I say? It shows you that there are fake Christians out there. Now, some people say, oh, you can't judge me. You can't call me out. I say bull crap. It's not, not uh, judgment. It's perception. It's perception. You, I am believing exactly what you are giving me. They are de- making the declaration they're, by their works. They're making. You know, I, I was talking to someone the other day, and, and I told him, I said, uh, someone will treat you exactly the way you allow them to treat you. It, the, exactly the way you give them permission, that's how they're going to treat you. And I'm going to believe about you exactly the way you live and present yourself to me. Because that's what the truth is. Uh, it doesn't matter what you say. What matters is what you show me. If you're showing me you're an unbeliever, I'm judging you to be an unbeliever. I'm not judging you whether you're going to hell or not. That's between you and God, but I, I am going to judge you an unbeliever. And it, and if your spouse is a believer and you're an unbeliever and, and you want out, man, your spouse needs to go see ya, especially if you can't work it out and, 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 and the unbeliever isn't willing or doesn't want to, then, then we got to let them go. One of the things that I want to point out though, that no matter where you are, you are, the innocent one never wanted it and yet you had to deal with it or you're the guilty one or it doesn't matter where you are in this decision-making process of divorce here's what you have to do or else you're not going to move on it's, it's going to become very very difficult that is luke eleven four, and it says Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We have to pray that God will forgive us, and we can become a child of Christ. And if you're a child of Christ, that God forgives you for your sinful uh, pride. That's the big word there, Johnny, uh, forgive. And um, things, this world, and Satan, our own flesh, just makes things so complicated and we get so emotionally crushed and frustrated and then um, in our desperation we just find ourselves at the feet of Jesus and we call on him and we get really right we snuggle up and get close to him and now we're not facing it alone if you look in this verse 4 Luke 11 4 forgive us our sins that is God please forgive us for we also forgive everyone that's that's us to to people, and that you know that's with nothing nece- necessarily changing on the outside. It's inside, and people say, "Well, I'll, I'll watch and see." Well, wait, th- th- no, no, no. That don't be conditioned by what others are doing. Don't that's let right. people mess you up about God. Let God straighten you out about people. Just it's, it is a personal decision on every level that verse four talks about. And surrender. So we need more marriage leaders, and we need more people that are married to surrender to God. And, and if, if we surrender and then lead and surrender and allow God to lead us, your whole world will change and your children will change and everything about it will change. And as pastors, we see the damage that comes through the door. 
we see the damage in the children. We see the damage in the spouse. We see the damage in the families. We listen, we see it. So we're not just talking the talk. I've been in ministry for 25 years. I've been pastoring now for 14. Uh, you've been in ministry for 40 plus years. And so you, you understand, you see it. Uh, guys, we're not novices at this. We're not saying, hey, let's do a podcast on divorce and, and remarriage. No, no, no. Ask the question. We're answering the question, and we're answering it with, with Scripture first uh, and experience second. We love you, and we want you to be successful, and that is why we're doing this. And so, guys, I am so thankful that you've joined us on According to John. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I pray it has helped you. And if it has, please like, share, subscribe, follow. Share it with someone that may need this or that it could help. We'll pray that it'll do amazing things and keep the family together. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week.